work. And hi, I'm Biz Cush, a life coach and therapist and your host here on the Awaken Your Wise Woman podcast. We're talking to women all over the world who found their way back to themselves, to their inner knowing, to their intuition, to their wisest self. We're exploring how to feel alive, authentic, engaged, and fully present in your life. Let's awaken your wise woman. Hi there. Welcome back. This is the Awaken Your Wise Woman podcast, and I'm your host, Biz Cush or Elizabeth Cush, and I'm super happy to have you here. Just so glad to be back in season four of the podcast, and today's guest just adds to the magic. I will be talking to Deb Shine Valentine. And before we got started, we had a few connections that are, you know, local and just people we've met. And it's just so, it is so meaningful to me to be able to connect with women close by geographically, but especially close in feeling close in connection, close in values. So who are close to me in values. And I just can't even say how much it means to me to have these amazing in-depth conversations. And today is no exception. We are going to be diving deep into having deep conversations about showing up in the world from our values and from our convictions and from a place of wanting to do right by the world and the world's citizens and our planet. But before we jump into this amazing conversation and more about Deb, I just wanted to let you all know there are still spots available for one-on-one coaching with me. It is a six-month commitment and we work one-on-one twice a month. Prices will be going up in the new year. So if you book a call with me and lock in this year's prices, you'll get a better deal. And if you're wondering how to do that, just go to my website, elizabethcushcoaching.com. And at the top of the homepage on the right, there is a Let's Talk button. Click that, fill out the form with Let's Talk, and we will book a 30-minute call to see if coaching is the right next step for you. Because it might not be, and you might not know that until we have that conversation. So there's no obligation. The call is free, but it gives you an opportunity to see if coaching is the right next step. As a coach, I am a listener, a supporter, a holder of space and silence. I provide guidance if needed, but really I'm here to support you as you explore the places in your life that are feeling stuck or not quite right, or you are ready to move into something different at this time in your life, and you're just not quite sure how to get to that next place, 
how to be living your life fully with purpose from your values. So head on over to elizabethcushcoaching.com and click the Let's Talk button and let's schedule a call. And without further ado, here's a little bit about Deb Shine Valentine. Deb Shine Valentine is a life leadership and women's empowerment coach and racial equity consultant. She has over 30 years of experience as an educator in settings ranging from early childhood education to college and over 10 years as a coach, author, and entrepreneur. Despite her best efforts, she never could find a way to suffer enough to make the world better, and trying to do so made her life feel pretty darn heavy. Fast forward to today, she focuses her efforts on joy, pleasure, and self-compassion as the means to bringing change that makes the world better for all beings. She calls this path thriving for equity and loves helping others to do the same. She is the primary author and editor of Feel Better, Do Better, a guide for people who want to change the world, but sometimes have trouble making it to lunch, and co-creator of Feel Better, Do Better Together, a Black and woman-centered group coaching program for people who are ready to trade perpetual sacrifice, overgiving, and overwork for lives they want to wake up to that make doing the hard stuff more worthwhile. I'm super excited to have Deb on the podcast, so let's jump into this conversation. Hi, Deb, and welcome to the Awaken Your Wise Woman podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, I'm so happy to have you. It's really fun for me. I just, the thing I love about podcasting is I get to talk to so many amazing women across the globe and the fact that you and I are sort of neighbors, you know, you're a little closer to home. It's really nice to just feel, I don't know, I guess that the energy that we're creating is just so, I don't know, it's growing, it's building. But uh, for the audience members, the listeners that don't really know who you are and what you do, I would love for you to share a little bit about yourself and what inspires you. Yeah. Well, I'm a life coach. I primarily work with people who have a commitment to social justice or spiritual leaders. Mm. And that often women, but not always women. But what those folks have in common or folks who come to work with me have in common is that they tend to experience life as being pretty heavy and hard. They're very empathetic. So they really care about making a difference in the world. And especially if you add on to that, being socialized as a woman and or being socialized with some kind of spiritual path that talks a lot about suffering and sacrificing for others, as that kind of builds up over time, over a lifetime, it can get really, really heavy, Mm. especially most of the people who work with me are one of their biggest fears is being selfish. So They don't want to do self-development work. They don't want to feel better in their own life if it's at the cost of someone else or it's not available to someone else 
or there's any possibility of any harm to someone else or to the earth or to animals. Mm. Like they really want everybody to be doing well. And yeah. most of the time haven't found a way to take that care and work it out in the world and also really enjoy their life. And that was my, that was my story. So like many of us, you know, yes. I was searching for the answers myself. And as I found more of them, I naturally wanted to share them with other people and be like, you don't have to do it this way. There's other mm. possibilities. And actually those other possibilities, I think have more potential, kind of like what you were saying about this energy, mm -hmm. even just drawing us together. I'm new to Baltimore. You're not too far away. Like this energy drawing us together at this moment in time, yeah. that sort of mystical, spiritual, energetic piece, along with real stuff going on in the world, mm -hmm. is sort of is where I'm often working. Mm, yeah. Oh, and I should say I have a book. It's oh, called awesome. Feel Better, Do Better. Nice. A guide for people who want to change the world, but sometimes have trouble making it to lunch. So <laughs> really, I love that title. Yeah, love it's that. really for that group. And I have eight Black, Indigenous, and people of color colleagues who contributed mm. one, an essay to each chapter because we really wanted it to be coming from more perspectives than just mine. And so nice. that it would hopefully be supportive to a broader range of people. So I'll Beautiful. pause there. You asked me about what's inspiring me, but I'll pause because I've talked a lot already. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I just wanted to go back to the piece you said about feeling selfish, not wanting to, you know, wanting so much to help others so that you're not really focusing on what you might need. But I also think this piece of, I might be struggling, but because others are struggling more than me, I don't deserve the right to talk about it, feel it, share it. And I hear that so often in my work. I mean, as yeah. a therapist and as a coach too, like other people have it worse than me. So if I'm wallowing or that's their word, or if mm -hmm. I'm stuck in my, in my sadness, like that's almost selfish. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. I just want to take that in for a minute mm -hmm. because ah, there's so many different pieces to that, right? So one piece is I listened to one of your podcasts, which was about highly sensitive people. Mm -hmm. And so there's that piece around many of the people that work with me have some kind of trait, whether they call themselves highly sensitive or not, there's this, there's a sensitive nervous system yeah. that we're just wired with. And so it can make it seem like our needs are ridiculous. They're too big, too big, right? <laughs> They're too much. And one of the coaches that I've trained with Martha Beck, I think it was from her that I got this analogy of cars and gasoline. Mm. She talked about riding in some really fancy, expensive race car with somebody and that person talking about how high maintenance this car was, like how sensitive it was and how difficult it was. Like you had to have exactly the right gas and you had to use it and manage it in exactly the right way. 
Mm-hmm. And she used that as an analogy to say, nobody's getting mad at the car for being so sensitive and needing this particular kind of gas and saying, sorry, like you have to use regular because it's right. just not going to work. Like it's I'm... not going to work. And so that, I think that's one piece. One piece is sort of the individual system my system, if my system is sensitive, if I'm very empathetic, I probably have things that are actually needs for my system, but I'm probably labeling labeling them as wants or as excessive. And when, and I think Julia Cameron's work in the artist way also helped me some with this, mm-hmm. but just when when we can say, Maybe it's possible that I need quiet in the car. Yes. And I this is a very specific one. I can give you a very specific I'm I'm all about cars today for some reason, but my husband <laughs> I love it. I love it. It was so helpful to me when I was able to I read something about the highly sensitive person and was able to make sense of this conflict in the car of him wanting the radio on or something on and often me needing it to be not just quiet music, nothing, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing at all. And no like TV on in the background at home and all of that. And when both of us were able to recognize for him often, especially when driving stimulation is helpful, like Mm -hmm. it keeps him awake, it keeps him alert. And for me, it's a distraction. Yeah. And so we were then we're able to have a conversation where we can actually both get our needs met as best as possible in that moment. So mm-hmm. I think that's one piece. There's this individual, what do I need as a person and can I honor that and call it valid? Mhm. Mhm. I think there are also systemic pieces. Yeah. And so one of the things that's important to me in my work is that So there also are, I thought as a white social justice oriented woman, I would probably mostly attract white social justice oriented women. And I have worked with many, but I also have worked with quite a few African-American women and that surprised me. But part of what I've found and heard from them and that was also that also impacted why we added more voices to the book because when i first wrote the book i thought am i writing this to a white woman to a white audience is this right. just for white people and i had some of these clients actually read the book and give me feedback and say no this is for us too okay part of what i see is that because of the work that i've done and it's ongoing work always on yeah. race and gender in my own life There is a way in which I'm at least able to have an awareness and a context that the space I hold includes an awareness that you might be working with something because just of something individual, like you're having trouble owning what you want just because of your own individual situation or your individual family or this, what we just talked about, not being really able to see your needs as valid, but that's Uh within a context, right? It's within a context of a patriarchal society and it's within a context of a white supremacist racist society and other things, capitalist, et cetera. 
Yes, yes, yes. And so part of what we're able to do also that I think is so important is when we can start to see the both and Mm -hmm. it's so much more powerful. And I know you do this in your work from what I've Mm -hmm. seen of yours. It's so much more powerful when we can have that understanding and compassion for ourselves. Yeah. And it makes sense that you don't know what you need. Mm -hmm. You were socialized as a woman. Not to know what you need. You were socialized to be silent. You were socialized to not need much so you could marry well. Right. Socialized. And if you are a woman and an African American woman in the United States. Yeah. And especially if, you know, you're someone who has worked your way up to some level of leadership, part of how you've done that is by being a good Black person. Right. Part of that means you don't make a fuss. You don't quote unquote, play the race cards. You don't. So there's all these reasons why you're silent and you don't know what you need that make total sense. And so there's that combination of there's all these reasons you are not broken. You are not the problem. There are problems that are a lot bigger than you. Mm -hmm. And also you have so much power of choice, regardless of how many things are coming against you. You have so much power of choice. But I think part of what's important in the context that we create and that's been important for me, and I'm still doing it in a very messy way and making mistakes and trying again, Mm -hmm. is in a lot of the self-help, wellness, spiritual communities, they're often, the ones I'm in are mostly white woman dominant. I know there are white male dominant ones, but I've kind of avoided them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's having that context of awareness that as a white woman, I do have these, a white woman, a highly educated, I have so many privileges. Right, right, for sure. And so being able to have those conversations out loud while we're also talking about the individual inner work, I think Mm -hmm. is essential to being able to dissolve the burdens that feel so heavy and find new ways forward. So yeah, their long answer. <laughs> no, but beautiful though. I just, I loved the bringing the context into it because I think this thread of we've come so far and things aren't so bad for us anymore as women, you know, we don't need to point out the fact that there are so few women in positions of leadership or black women in positions of leadership and how that shapes the conversation around work and productivity and what we're supposed to be doing and how we feel about our needs. Yeah. 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 And the, the growing body of research around trauma, around how generations trauma from generations back is still impacting us at a cellular level, not just from like the way my mother raised me is connected to the way her mother raised her, but also like literally in our cells, in our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. That also. I just read an article in the Washington Post today about a researcher who has been doing research around what she calls weathering. And it's basically like the impact of all the systems on less advantaged, you know, disadvantaged humans. So like from conception and your mother carrying the burden of, is there enough food or what's happening outside me? Am I going to be accosted or hurt or whatever through your own 
lived experience that basically like we're aging our bodies faster because at a cellular level, we're degrading what's happening because we're living in that sense of heightened stress and and it impacts people who are less advantaged way more than more privileged people. And that just struck me. I like texted the article to myself. So I remember to dive in a little more deeply of the woman who wrote the book, whose name I, sorry, mm-hmm. I can't remember right now, but, but I was, I was reading it. I was like, of course, it's a woman who's bringing this forward into the world. It's like, Hey, we need to treat everyone better in a more equitable way across the board because we're killing ourselves, right? As a culture, as a people, especially here in the Western world, that kind of a sidetrack there. But I just felt like that was somewhat relevant. Absolutely. And when we do that, that's the crazy thing that in like in the US, in the political conversation right now, particularly around like curriculum in the schools, et cetera, Mm -hmm. there's a lack of understanding that when we do that, when we create this world where the people with the highest number of challenges thrive, yeah, we all get better. It's like the opposite of that. I forget that that saying about one boat rises, the other boats rise. That's not the saying, but it's that's the idea. Okay, and that, but that was sort of more like if I can get ahead, I'll bring the rest of you up with me. But this idea of if we focus on centering the people who are least likely and not in a savior way, that's the other tricky piece. (laughs) True. That is (laughs) right. Not coming in. And that's what Aminata Soul, I think, has been such a great teacher for me. This the Mm -hmm. person who introduced us because she's an African-American woman and Mm -hmm. she has really strongly come to me if I get anywhere near some kind of saving she's like I don't need saving Mm. I am a powerful being I chose to be in this world having this life I don't need your saving yes Yes. but I'm happy to have you come alongside I'm happy to yeah just definitely acknowledge that on this earth on this plane is a very different experience to be in a black woman's body than in mine Yes. But I definitely came in and can fall into that saving piece. And there's, it's a very fine line between saving and centering, centering as strong, as worthy of respect, as already resourced, whether it's a community or an individual, Mm -hmm. but acknowledging as we're centering that the reason we're doing that is because so often there's marginalization, right? So we're we're yeah. putting into the center groups that are typically on the edges. And when we do that, it's actually better for everyone. Like the research that shows that when more women have money and power, yeah. communities benefit, lots of people benefit. There's actually research that shows that. Right. So- in my own life, I'm like, it's just so much better. It's so much more fun. So much more it's interesting. So much more interesting. Yeah. yeah. There really is this incredible strength in diversity. Like really, really, not just like as a catchphrase. No, no. It just it just is so much richer, I think. The returns are richer almost, right? Like 
I mean, that sounds so capitalistic, but we receive the benefits of we, as in white women, white people. This feels like I'm stepping off, off a cliff here, but yes, of course, we can't hold all the power. That's not tenable. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can't continue, right? But by bringing more people into powerful spaces, it's better for everybody. Yeah, it is better for everybody. And I appreciate that you were like, oh, this is feeling like maybe like, I don't know how to talk about this because of course we don't know how to talk about it. We're not supposed to talk about it. <laughs> I, know, I know, I know. And we're in this cancel culture too, where if you, if the wrong sound bite gets out there, often there's like really harsh critique and we're going to, if we talk out loud about race, we're going to make mistakes. Yep. We're going to say something that causes harm. And that's going to happen also because people of color are not a monolith. Right. So, Absolutely. So, you know, one person is going to say, yes, I want you to do this work with your people. And another person is going to say, no, you shouldn't be doing it. I should be paid to do it, you know, and absolutely, you can't make both of those people happy. And they both are individuals worthy of respect. So yeah, yeah absolutely. It's tricky and it's messy and our traumas come up. Yes. Our traumas yes. come up. Yes. Not just ours. Like uh, when we try to work in multiracial spaces, which I have a couple colleagues who've been working with me on um, a group coaching program, a feel better, do better group coaching program. And one of them, we were really, we were moving towards being really kind of a a co-created thing. Mm -hmm. And we were very this is so great. It's so wonderful. We love it. It's so good. And we still, there's still so much of that for us, but we hit like really unexpected deep things coming up, yeah. trying to be in this interracial space together, holding space for people to grow. Mm. So there are reasons also why we tend not to do that. Yeah. That are practical, that are, it was harder to recruit because we were keeping a commitment to 50% people of color in the group. Yeah. So that made marketing trickier. There were challenges from our deep stuff coming up with each other right. to this is harder to market <laughs> and, you know, harder to price. And mm. We're not meant to be able to do this well in this, in this context. Hmm. Ah. Yeah. Well, we really haven't, I don't know if taught is the right word, but we really haven't learned how to do it equitably. At least. All right. I also feel again, like I'm stepping off a cliff here. It's not what we know yet, I guess is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I love hmm. that you added yet. Yeah. It's well, not I mean, what we know yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no. I, I'm hopeful that that's the truth, right? That we are learning and hopefully working to do better. You shared in a little personal aside of the form that I filled out, or you filled out for talking to me about when you first came to this work that you, here I'm going to quote you, you sacrificed your way to making a difference in the world. Mm -hmm. 
And I think, well, I love that you put that out there and that you found that's not the way to go. (laughs) But two, like for me, there is a part of me entering into this work for myself and for the world that I felt like the only way to do it well was to sacrifice myself. And that terrified me. I was Mm -hmm. like, "I I don't know if I have the bandwidth, the capability, the being highly sensitive. It felt overwhelming just stepping in the door. Yeah. Yeah. And are you talking especially about doing work around anti-racism or like that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's so, so common and really resonates for me too. Yeah. Ah, And I love that you brought it up. So I think one of the things there's a couple of things that come to me when I think about that quote and sacrificing my way to make the world better. Mm -hmm. One of them for me was I really came to, because of my upbringing, which was very conservative Christian and where like being a feminist was a bad word. I was socialized that I should stay home with my children I didn't get like the most extreme version, like my parents supported me going to college, but still ultimately kind of the idea was I would probably end up staying home or maybe I would be a teacher or a nurse, but it was very gendered. So I came to some concerns about race and racism in high school, just in little moments, and then went to a conservative Christian college. And there was a way in which I think for me, starting to challenge the status quo around race was Mm -hmm. safer than starting to challenge the status quo around gender. And that fits really well with sacrificing because as a woman, you're already socialized to sacrifice yourself for children. You know, mothers especially get so much credit for sacrificing everything for their children, right? Which is, I really want to change that narrative. I would love to see that change in my lifetime. So I had it from there, like it's good to sacrifice. And then I had the Christian version, it's good to sacrifice. Yeah. And so I came into work around race very much with the savior view and with the sacrificing view. And actually, I actually, I was in kind of the yuppie generation and I came out of college with a commitment to downward mobility. That would actually be helpful. If I would be more poor, (laughs) that will help people. And I have to say, I am still trying to work that out of my system. Like I really have a very strong internal drive to not thrive financially, (laughs) like not consciously anymore, but internally, but it shows up perpetual sacrifice. Yes, absolutely. And then I loved that one of my clients was the one who actually named, added the word perpetual, because I used to say it's not about sacrifice and suffering. She added the word perpetual because sometimes there is a sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes there's something that's not really a sacrifice, but it's a letting go that feels really painful. Mm -hmm. And if we haven't done a lot of that, we might call it a sacrifice. You know, Mm -hmm. like I think for white people, as an example, letting go of a favorite movie that when we watch it again, we realize, oh my gosh, 
the mm-hmm. racial bias in this is atrocious. I can't yeah. love this movie anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not a sacrifice, but it is a letting go that yeah. is painful. It has some pain in it. There's some loss in it. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> but that was one of the things that came to mind. When yeah, you but but interesting that you're recognizing or you recognize that that it was almost easier, uh, that might not be the right word, to move towards sort of social justice, anti-racism versus genderism, because that was so ingrained in how you were raised and family and expectations and all of that, where kind of stepping to the side, like, well, maybe if I do this work, Mm -hmm. it feels more comfortable for within the context of who I am in my, in, in my known world, right. Of, of how I was raised. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that you just reminded me of, which was part of where I was going with that, is it also aligned well with my commitment to shame. Mm. (laughs) Like, Mm. because I could just stay with, I am a sinner. I should feel ashamed. So as a white person, I'm always in the wrong. Yeah. It's always my privilege. And that's not true either. And it's not helpful. No, no. And I was really stuck in that shame, which is another piece of how I came to the work of coaching and left a tenure track job and went on this very different path. And I also should say my husband's African-American and we've been married 28 years. So there's been a closeness to the African-American community because of my marriage. But even within that and having two children, I mostly for 20 years was stuck in my job as a white person is to feel guilty. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Which isn't supportive to any cause. And it's connected to what you said about capacity. Mm -hmm. I don't think you use the word capacity, but it's very much connected in my experience. My journey has been that And actually, Aminata Soul is one of the places where I learned this, Mm. that I had to come to the place where I could have a boundary and not assume that everything related to racism, when I heard about it on the news, when I saw it, was my responsibility. Yeah. So I had to come to the place where I could pause and check in with myself, not look away but feel the pain. So there were, but there were several pieces. I had to pause. I had to practice my capacity to feel the pain, not Mm. turn away from it. Yep. I had to learn how to do that. I had to learn how to move pain through my body and grief, Mm. which is also, it's about sounding. It's about Mm. moving your body. It's about things that also have been shut down in our culture. Like you're not supposed to like start yeah. shaking. We say yeah. shake it off, but don't actually shake. Don't actually move. Right? <laughs> yeah. So moving, sounding. Or if you just move your hands, that's okay. Yeah. That might be okay. <laughs> Especially down low, but not a pot. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Learning to pause, to feel, mm. to process, whether that's moving or sounding or calling another, a white friend usually is better who can help me process, who won't just who understands the work and will help me process. Mm -hmm. And then coming to a place where I notice, okay, I've calmed my nervous system. I've felt the grief and the pain of having seen this 
or heard about what just happened or come to a new awareness that I didn't have before. Mm-hmm. And then deciding what is my action to take. And sometimes the action to take is just what you already did, that you stayed with the pain. You didn't look away. You felt it. Maybe you prayed if you have some kind of prayer practice. Sometimes you might feel a nudge to a bigger action. But I think one of the things that happens for us, at least I've seen it over and over with white women especially, um, is we go, oh my gosh, that's too much. Especially I'm, I'm too sensitive. I'm too much of an empath. I can't, I can't, I can't. Well, that's Mm. learned victimhood, which is also part of our gender, (laughs) you know, of our gender conditioning. So we can, it doesn't mean you can in this moment, but you can increase your capacity. You can increase your emotional capacity not to turn away You can increase your capacity to take actions. Like these are learnable skills. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something I didn't know for Mm -hmm. a long time. I didn't know that I could learn. I could stay sensitive. I still, I don't watch the news. I don't read a lot of the news. (laughs) I'm very low on my level of news that I take in. Me too. But I am more able now not to look away when something comes to me and to let it land, to let myself feel it, to process it through, and then to decide Mm. what's my action. Do I have an action to take? Yeah. And it's, it can be tiny steps. So I think that's the piece. It's like, we make it into this big thing, which stops us. Oh my gosh. I don't know if I'm brave enough to go march in the streets. Okay. Like nobody said that was your next step. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, you do not have to be at the head of the crowd with the banner screaming for social justice. Yeah, yeah. There is a beautiful children's book by this amazing poet. It's called A Quiet Roar Can Change History. And right now the name of the poet is escaping me. And Mm. there's an interview with her on the On Being podcast. Mm. I can look it up and add yeah. it in the show yeah. notes. But I loved it because it's it's a poem that became a children's book, but it's this story of this little girl whose parents are activists, and I think her brother goes out with them, and she sits behind a chair mm-hmm. in the living room and just sort of, she's listening, but like she's like in the corner, quiet. But what she ends up doing is making the signs. She makes, Mm. she comes out from behind the chair and she has these signs Hmm. that they take with them. And I'm getting chills as I share that. I was going to say, I'm getting teary just you talking about it. Yeah, because it's, again, it's back to where we started, right? Honoring what kind of car are you? (laughs) You What kind of human are you? Your kind of human matters to do your work in your yes. way. You don't have to do it a different way. So important. Yeah. 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 Mm. Oh, I'm going to take that in for myself again. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Yes, yes, yes. And I love that you've given us the space to just given us permission to take the space to take that in because that's beautiful. Hmm. 
So I would love, I know at the very beginning, I asked you like, what does inspire you? And we got Mm -hmm. going, but I don't want to leave that behind. That feels Mm -hmm. important to come back to. And then I'm going to ask you to share a piece of wisdom that you feel like you would like to share for the listeners too. Okay. Ah, many, many things inspire me. I'll start with what I'm seeing at my window, trees, Mm. light, light coming through trees at dusk and dawn, light on water, light just doing all the things that light does. Yeah. So just so many aspects of nature, but especially trees, light and light on water and ah, yeah, different little spots of earth that I'm learning to connect with. Mm -hmm. And also what really inspires me right now, or some of the people who really inspire me right now are people who are joyful and thriving themselves and Working for, I don't even like this phrasing, like working for justice is not exactly the right, they might be working for justice. They might also be just quietly dissolving systems that harm the earth. But like people who are doing big, important work that that to do it requires feeling a lot of pain and heartbreak. Like if we really look at what's happening, we can't help but feel pain and heartbreak who are doing that and who are finding these embodied ways to move it through and community ways to support each other and are also thriving to include financially. Honestly, right now, I'm really looking for the people who are also thriving financially. Nice. But some of the people, Adrienne Marie Brown is one, her book, Pleasure Activism, is all about this journey Mm -hmm. around being an activist and also being in pleasure, including really taboo topics of pleasure like sex and drugs. And yeah, I trained with Layla Martin, who is a sex, love and relationship coach and her work in kind of neo tantra, like again, sexuality, money, power. Mm. There are reasons why these things became taboo. We're coming up on Halloween. There are reasons why that holiday and witches became like a bad thing because there was power, there was influence, there's life force energy available to us if we move, if we can sound, if we can embrace our proneness connected to your work, right? Like our- the middle-aged crones, if we can, you know, if we're in our power, if we're speaking, if we're acting, that's really dangerous for the status quo. So the people who are doing that inspire me, the ones who've gone before us Mm. and the ones who are here now, Michelle Obama, Gloria Steinem, Krista Tippett on Being Network, an example of a very different way to do that. Yeah. Aminata Soul absolutely mm-hmm. is one of those. Um, Desiree Attaway. There's so many, honestly, because of where I choose to be, yeah. the circles I choose to operate in. It feels to me like we're we're everywhere. The the people who are doing this work with joy. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I get out of my little bubble, I realize we're not 
quite. I mean, we might be everywhere, but we're still pretty undercover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bigger, yeah. I feel I, right. I feel like the energy is leaching outwards, but the the bubble is still uh yeah, relatively yeah. small. But it's growing. yeah, absolutely. I mean it's big, but it's just not exposed as much as I would like it to be or whatever as visible. It's growing. I really think it's growing. And I also think that we get a choice as a human collective about what gets fed and we're still in that choice we're in that i think we're in an in-between where yeah. we're kind of choosing as a as a collective what paradigm we want to operate under but i love being around it's often women and gender non-conforming folks but there are some men my husband is like he's definitely in there nice. and the people who are nurturing this dissolving not so much of the fighting i love you also talked about changing the name of your podcast mm -hmm. so it, it's not that there's never a reason to fight but like i'm really uncomfortable with it for the most part being really courageous in mm -hmm. our work around dissolving taboos and yeah. speaking out and being really courageous in loving I think that's the other piece. I was inspired by people in these last couple of weeks who spoke out immediately in support of both hurting Palestinians and hurting Israelis. Me too. When it Me was too. not okay on social media to give any support yep. to hurting Palestinians, it was you were only as an American supposed to talk about supporting Israelis. More yep. people more balanced now because of what's been happening but yeah the people who were brave enough to speak out from the beginning and say i'm loving everybody here and like right. how do we do that how do we make way right and and i i saw you know of course social media meme like palestinians and hamas are not equal that's not the same thing right right as well as Israelis and the Israeli government. They're not like, not this is about the people who are suffering yeah. because of this conflict. The people yeah. yeah, who have continued to suffer for a long time. Anyway, yes. Yes. And can I say one more thing that's coming up for me related to that? Do we have time sure. for one more? Sure, sure. What's coming up for me is also in my experience, I was working with, a very personal conflict, kind of political conflict in my family of origin between me and someone else. Mm. And so I also have been very much in this space of, wow, I want this on a larger scale. I've got to do it within myself. And I think you have another podcast about internal family systems, you know, like this conflict. So oh. seeing it on all those levels, like where am I not loving this part of myself or these two parts that are in conflict? How do I love them both in myself, in my internal psyche? Then yeah. how do I do this in my family mm. with this family member and myself where we just, it's so hard for us to understand and hear each other. Yeah, And then feeling how that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it is a war between nations and Israel and Palestine aren't the only ones, right? No. So yeah, yeah. 
again, feeling that like connection of all of this work, it's all connected. We can't just do the micro work and say that'll solve everything, but we can't do the big work without the micro work, like, and the community work. And the, it's just all part of that. Yeah. How do we yeah. create a new, a world where ah, we love all the parts? <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. All the parts, all the people, all the yeah. Mm. Mm. I really feel that. But I love the, the yeah, the micro work has to happen, right? For mm -hmm. us to be able to approach the bigger, the bigger work. Yeah. And that it's not, it's not an either or, or even a like, do this first, then that, like, I feel like it's like with a lot of things, it sort of weaves in and out and we might have a time, like, I think I'm coming out of a time where I've been really deep in for a few years, kind of in my cave, doing a lot of internal work. Mm -hmm. And I'm feeling like I need to get out more now. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I right. needed that for a while. And so there can be these, you know, yeah. ebbs and flows of that, but I think it's always, it's always weaving together. I agree. I agree. And is there, I mean, you shared so much wisdom throughout our conversation, mm -hmm. but if there were something that maybe either you haven't said or you would like to reiterate as far as a piece of wisdom for the listeners, what might that be? Yeah. I think the thing that's coming to me right now is... Learn how to process your emotions through movement and sound. Mm. Yeah. And there's tons of resources. Like you could Google it. You can find, use the word somatic, <laughs> you know, yes. Like, yes. find a somatic therapist. Like you can do this with huge amounts of support or even just in the tiniest way, like the tiniest thing would be next time you feel really upset, turn on a song and dance, even if you don't dance right? or like what we were talking about, just shake or just go. <laughs> right. <laughs> like right. the sounds that we want to make, but we don't make yeah. it's yeah. the smallest thing, but it's so huge. And it's one of the things that again, back to the bigger picture, colonialism shut down cultures that had oh. practices that included right. movement and sound and sexuality. We won't go yeah. farther into that, but yeah. 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 Uh, yes. So yes, start yes. with moving and sounding and just see what happens. See what happens if you move and sound. I love that. I love that. I just recently, uh, found or was shown some Qigong, I think that's how you mm -hmm. say it, movement. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a woman who offers a whole lot of free videos on that. So if I think if I can find them, I'll add those to the show notes too, because it is all about moving your body. And even if there isn't anything coming up, it just moves stuff through when it you does. move. It does. Like it literally, and I am like geek, nerd, like sit at the computer, sit with my book all day long, never move my body. Like it takes intentionality for me yeah. to move yeah. and it is life-changing. It's life-changing. So yeah. especially if you're one of those like me 
Yeah. Like extra important. Yeah. You don't even have to have like a new story, a new therapized affirmation, whatever. Like you can move your body and you will have moved something emotional and energetic. And that does not have to be a conscious, like I'm going to release this thing. It can just be your body doing it for you. Yes. Our bodies know how to do it. Our bodies know how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. We just have to let them. We sure do. We sure do. Well, Deb, thank you so much. I have enjoyed our conversation and getting to know you and being here with you on the podcast. So thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Wow, that was an incredibly powerful and for me, empowering conversation with Deb Valentine. I really appreciate being able to go deep with other women about topics that are hard, that maybe we don't feel 100% sure of how to go about talking about this thing. And today was racism and genderism and if I made mistakes or, as I said, stepped over a cliff, I am always open to feedback and readjusting, making amends, correcting myself. But yeah, I just found the conversation really enriching and authentic and powerful, just really beautiful. So I appreciate Deb's coming on the podcast so, so much. So I will share her books and I forgot to ask her to share how people would find herself, which I normally do at the end of the podcast. So guess what? All of that will be shared in the show notes, how to find Deb, her website, her book, all the great resources we talked about today. I think one of the things that really touched my heart in the conversation was her story of the book, A Quiet Roar Can Change History, and the little girl that hides behind the chair as her parents go off to activism and her brother and, you know, getting ready to put themselves out there. And she comes out from behind the chair with the signs that really literally brought tears to my eyes. And it's just such a beautiful story that we all can play a role and we just have to find the roles that work for us. On another note, I do still have coaching spots available. Six months of working with me one-on-one If you are interested in working with me, you can find out more about what the work entails. This is really about your journey and my support of you in your journey. So I'm not going to be telling you what to do. I am not going to be pointing you in the direction of your next step. I am listening, supporting, holding space for your personal transformation and transmutation. So whatever, if you're feeling stuck and you would like some support, please reach out. If you go to my website, elizabethcushcoaching.com, 
there is a button up in the top right hand corner that says let's talk. Just fill out an email there with a subject of let's talk and we'll schedule a 30 minute free call to see if working with me is the right next step for you. You can also sign up for my newsletter. Occasionally I offer free coaching calls. So the only way you're going to know about that is either here on the podcast or in my newsletter. So sign up for the newsletter, elizabethcushcoaching.com forward slash sign up. As I said, all of the show notes will include all of Deb's contact information. I apologize, Deb, for not asking you that. And you can find those at awakenyourwisewoman.com. I hope you all have a wonderful week and I look forward to connecting with you next time here on the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Awaken Your Wise Woman podcast. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Music by Andy Cush, sound editing by Laura Disler, and show notes by Kathy Cush. If you'd like more information about me, Biz Cush, and the resources shared today, go to awakenyourwisewoman.com.